Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners. I'm Johnny Neinstead with Logan Parker, as always. Well, we are past the trade deadline. This was your last opportunity to improve your team for the playoff push. So we're going to have a breakdown here. We're going to actually have to split this up into two episodes, an AL and an NL. And we're going to break down team by team the moves that everybody made at this deadline. And we're going to give each team a deadline grade for their moves. So keep in mind here, you know, you don't just get a good grade for going after star players. You can be graded favorably for getting top prospects too, if you did a good job of selling. So this is bound to be an exciting episode, but before we get into it, I got to do a quick shout out. We have had five episodes dropped so far and all five of them have been downloaded by somebody in Brussels. So whoever you are in Brussels, shout out to you, my man. We appreciate it. Let's get into it. Logan, it's great to talk to you guys about the deadline, and let's just kick it off with the NL West here, the division that probably made the biggest splash, but let's not start with that team. Let's start with the team that didn't do as much in the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the way we're going to do it is we're just going to break it down into what a team added versus what they lost, and then debate there on whether or not they did good, bad, average, whatever it is, kind of assign them a letter grade. So the Dodgers. Their early acquisition a couple days prior to the deadline approaching was Chris Martin, reliever from the Cubs, uh, supporting a mid-four ERA, but was able to show some very good predictive stats that suggest that he's going to find himself in a better spot here pretty soon. The curious move that they made was acquiring Joey Gallo. They also acquired a couple other minor leaguers, no one too significant, they were able to get uh, Nick Frasso, who now uh, sits pretty in their number 26th overall prospect in their system, according to MLB Pipeline. But I think the most interesting move has to be Joey Gallo. They didn't really give up too much. You're going to hear a bunch of fringe guys like Zach McKinstry, Mitch White, Garrett Clevenger, Jake Lamb, Clayton Beater. But none of those guys are pushing a needle if you're a Dodger fan. They did go after Joey Gallo. Interesting, interesting, as he struggled mightily over in New York. Blamed it pretty much on the fact that the fans were tough to deal with and that big market was tough, but now he's in L.A., which is no different. Yeah, uh, you're not. we touched on this a little bit in the live reaction video. I don't know. Uh, obviously, Gallo didn't really have a choice for this, but I don't see how the Dodgers think they can get more out of him in terms of uh, you know ratcheting down the pressure. Definitely not going to happen. There, So, yeah, that's definitely an interesting move. And also the fact that they gave up a somewhat respectable prospect, Clayton Beater, uh, for Gallo as well, and took on his remaining salary, which wasn't completely insignificant either. Uh, I thought the Yankees would have to eat that. But, uh, yeah, definitely a curious move. Martin, solid pickup. Um, nothing else of note at all. And the most interesting thing is certainly what they didn't do. They didn't get Soto. They didn't get Contreras or Hap. They don't really need Contreras, but they didn't get Hap. Um, didn't make you know a huge bullpen upgrade. 
So, you know, if I'm a Dodgers fan, Padres aren't our rival. Just, just making that sure. But I'm a little worried because, you know, they have a great team, obviously. Top two team in the majors, them and the Yankees. But it just never bodes well to stand pat at the deadline when you're going for it. You know, it just, it doesn't do much for the clubhouse when you acquire Chris Martin and Joey Gallo, you know. These guys want to know that their front office is going all in for them. And when that doesn't happen, um, it can kind of kill the morale a little bit. And yeah, I could see this coming back to bite the Dodgers in the playoffs. We said that they might get exposed by their young, inexperienced rotation. And they did not address that at all, this deadline. No, not at all. And on top of it being young, there's definitely some guys in there that are due for regression this second half. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. It's something that I've always said when it comes to sports teams, and specifically in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers didn't get better. So, therefore, the way I look at it is they got worse. Chris Martin, Joey Gallo, sure, that might slightly make them better, but it's not enough to, like you said, boost morale, which is a significant thing when it comes to sports teams and how they function. We've seen it numerous times where a team has been in a fairly strong position going into the trade deadline and have failed to get any of their big targets. They have to choose kind of secondary, even third third level type moves and the clubhouse kind of collapses as the season goes on. Not saying the Dodgers will have that issue because they're just so good. I believe they can overcome that, but there is something to adding big names. And for that reason, the lack of doing so, I think I got to give them a C. I can't say that it's anything lower than average because they're so good. They didn't, there's no scenario in which they had to make a move because their team's good enough right now to win the world series, but I can't give it much higher than a C. Yeah, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little lower. I'm gonna give him a C minus, just because the opportunity cost of not getting Juan Soto was letting him go to the Padres, and that's huge. You know, the Padres are, if not equal, then certainly within shouting distance of the Dodgers now, which is a scary thought for the Dodgers, even though they have the division basically locked up. Um, you don't want to face a team with Juan Soto in a short playoff series. He can carry a lineup. And obviously the Padres have lots of other pieces now as well, both that they acquired at the deadline and that they had before. So yeah, I'm, I'm giving them a C minus here. Just their mediocre deadline, especially when compared directly to the Padres going huge. It, it doesn't. Uh, it's not a good look for the Dodgers. No, not at all. And and let's kind of segue into the Padres. And let me preface beforehand: we're not going to dive too deep into the Soto and Bell additions, nor the players that they gave up in those trades, because we do have a podcast that we dropped on trade deadline Tuesday, in which we spent. 35, 40 minutes just talking about this trade. So if you want to get more in depth with the biggest trade in the history of the sport, go check that episode out. But the Padres didn't do nothing beyond that. They went out and they got, what was it, a day, day and a half before, the best closer in baseball, Josh Hader, who is controllable for this year and the year beyond. Then after the Soto and Bell deal, 
they kind of snuck in getting Brandon Drury, a very underrated player. Another significant aspect of the trade deadline that cannot be overlooked is what they gave up. Not so much in prospect value, but they got rid of Eric Hosmer. Did they shed that contract? No. They still are going to be paying pretty much 99% of that contract, but they got him off the roster, which does a lot to that for that team because it takes off someone who is providing negative value at this point off their roster. And in my opinion, he was a big crutch to kind of kept them from getting over a, a certain hump that they needed to make a deep playoff push. So I think as significant as it was to get Hayter and Drury and Soto and Bell, it was significant to be able to shed Hosmer off the team, maybe get him a fresh start, whatever you <clears throat> whatever you will. But I think that's as significant in a way as, as getting rid of some or getting some of those guys. Yeah. I also really like the Brandon Drury pickup, especially after the Nationals um, asked for Luke Voigt as a replacement for Hosmer in that Soto deal. Um, Voigt hasn't had a great year to this point, but he was certainly turning it around and you know, he's a big offensive presence in the lineup. Obviously, he has the chance to go yard anytime he steps up to the plate. So bringing in Drury really solidified their bench. They did have to give up uh, infielder Victor Acosta, who's pretty highly regarded. Uh, we'll get into him when we break down the Reds' return. But yeah, Drury obviously paid immediate dividends. First pitch grand slam. That's pretty dang good. Hasn't happened since, what, 1960, I think. And then Hayter, yeah, just super consistent. Um, you know he's going to be dominant out of the back of their bullpen. So, I mean, you can't give him anything other than an A-plus for landing Soto, Bell, Hayter, Drury, and getting rid of Hosmer. That's uh, just about exactly how A.J. Preller drew it up, I imagine. Oh, 100%. I think another significant thing that shouldn't be overlooked is there inclusion of Jay Groom in the Eric Cosmer deal, someone they were able to collect um, from the Red Sox. He slots in at number 11 on their top 30 for MLB Pipeline. The reason I say it's something to not overlook is not necessarily for this year, but looking future-wise for the San Diego Padres, we know that the, the depth in their system has really been depleted, especially this last deadline. He's going to provide good starting pitching depth, was once a top 40 prospect in the entire sport. So this guy obviously had something about him um, that scouts loved. So you're looking at a left-handed starter who slots in AAA. He's had a, a high three ERA there. So he's found some success. Interesting to see if the Padres can maybe tap into what he once was projected to be at some point and turn him into a valuable rotation piece. Yeah, especially after giving up Gore in the Soto deal. All right, let's move on to the Giants, who took a middle-of-the-road approach here. They, at the time of the deadline, were, I believe, a couple games under 500, about four or five games out of the wild card. So they were trying to both compete in 2022 and bolster their uh, farm system for the future. And unfortunately, it doesn't really look like they accomplished either of those goals. Um, They shipped out Darren Ruff, Kurt Casale, Matthew Boyd, Trevor Rosenthal, and Mauricio Dubon from the Major League roster, uh, along with a few minor leaguers as well. Their most notable return piece was J.D. Davis of the Mets, a change of scenery candidate who's really struggled this year, but has had some good production over the last few years. 
And they got a few prospects to slot into the back half of their top 30. Outfielder Tristan Peters, their number 25. Um, right-handed pitcher Carson Seymour, their number 28. And lefty Nick Zwack, their number 29 prospects now. But they really have not helped their team for this year. Davis might replace Ruff in terms of pure value, but he's not going to, you know, blow anybody away. And well, their goal should have been to get younger, more athletic, better defensively this deadline, because that's one of their major weaknesses. And they did not address that at all. Their only defensive-minded acquisition was for a guy, Dixon Machado, who they actually just DFA'd today. So that obviously didn't work out at all. And their secondary goal was to improve the farm system. And there's no impact guys that they acquired. Just, you know, minor league depth guys who have a shot of making the big leagues, but at this point in time are not projected to be major contributors. So for that reason, I got to give them a D. Yeah, the thing with the Giants, on top of what you said, because I 100% agree with everything you just said right there, they had the pieces to get some upper echelon talent in their minor leagues. They could have traded Rodon. And what it sounds like to me is they just waited too long to decide. They couldn't decide go or sell, go or sell. And so teams didn't have the opportunity like they did for Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas to really you know, barter back and forth packages and players. So if something were to go down for Rodon, it was going to have to be last minute. And it didn't necessarily seem like a smart thing for the Giants to do anything last minute, especially when it comes to a guy like Rodon. You can also look at Jock Peterson, who mm-hmm. not only is having a all-star level year, granted on the concussion IL, but you know that shouldn't last too, too long for him. The dude has legit playoff experience, World Series for experience. Sure. They had an opportunity to re- reconfigure their farm system significantly. They could have really put themselves in a good position for the future without jeopardizing what they wanted to do the next year, two years, because these guys are rentals. I'm very surprised that Farhan Sahidi didn't choose a direction sooner. He's an extremely smart man. My guess is there was some sort of confliction in the front office that they couldn't decide which route to go, and they just didn't choose quick enough. I will tip my hat off to them for being able to get anything from Matthew Boyd and Trevor Rosenthal, two guys who haven't pitched an inning this year. So to get anything for your system for that, even if it's someone who never pans out, you know, can provide you whatever down in the minors, Hats off to you there, but yeah, man, the Giants, J.D. Davis, that's a solid little pickup. I can't get anything other than a D as well. It it really is a failure, and I could even stomach an F, but I'll give it a D because they were able to net some prospect return for guys who haven't pitched this year. Um, So we got two teams left in the National League West. And uh, we're gonna do a little teaser. We're not gonna we're not gonna spoil what the Rockies did. Oh, it was a lot. It was the Rockies really really surprised <laughs> a lot of people um, with their prowess this time. But let's get into the Diamondbacks, who they had they're put in an interesting position given roster construction. So they lost David Peralta, a longtime D back, um, big clubhouse guy. Obviously, he's a, on an expiring contract, so there's no reason not to trade him. And they were able to get back catching prospect Christian Serda. Nothing 
major. He's not some top prospect, but he's played well in Double A this year for the Tampa Bay Rays. And you know, just because he's not a top prospect on pipeline doesn't mean that the Diamondbacks don't view him as a top thirty guy. So I actually think that's an under the radar good pickup for them. They were also somehow able to get something for Luke Weaver and Emmanuel Rivera. Nothing special there either, but Luke Weaver also supporting a 70 area out of the pen. So that was a good get by the Diamondbacks, but that's it. Uh, a struggling team doesn't do a lot, usually doesn't bode well, but did they have the pieces to get anything? The only other piece I can think of is Christian Walker. Um, he would have fetched a very nice return as a controllable player. He's controlled through next year. First baseman with lots of pop. Um He's, you know, he's a solid player, and he would have gotten them a nice return. Not entirely sure why they didn't pull the trigger on a trade for him. Maybe they just didn't really get what they were looking for. Um, I could definitely see them offering him an extension in the next couple of years before his contract expires. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, not really very many pieces to sell on. Their roster is just really young. Um I think Peralta was really the only expiring veteran that they had. So, I mean, you know, they did what they could, but they didn't really, you know, they had maybe some opportunities to get creative with some other guys, you know, Walker being one of them. Um, So it's just kind of a middle of the road deadline and I got to give them a middle of the road grade. I'll give them a C. I will say I'm, there's a couple bullpen arms that they had that I'm a little surprised they didn't move. I'm going to start with Ian Kennedy. 30, he's 37. Uh, supporting a 306 ERA this year. Uh, has some closer experience. Um, I'm a little surprised they didn't get any takers on him. I doubt that it was a situation where they weren't looking to trade him. Um, you could also talk about Mark Melanson. I know he's a veteran guy, though I do believe they signed him to a two-year deal, so maybe they just were waiting for the right deal. The main one for me is Joe Manaply, their all-star representative. Yeah. He has not regressed since the all-star game. So it wasn't a situation where it was like, oh, he's falling back down to earth. No, he's been continuing to pitch really, really well from the left side. I'm surprised he didn't generate more interest. And we didn't really hear about him. So maybe for whatever reason, the Diamondbacks wanted to keep him until 2027, but they're not going to be good until 2029, probably. I mean, they're, they're nowhere near good. So... <laughs> They have a great system. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I'm a little surprised we didn't hear. We didn't really hear anything about Manaply. Yeah, and that's why I didn't mention him. I I knew obviously before the deadline that yeah he would be a top trade candidate, but no rumors at all about him. I can he completely slipped my mind until now. But yeah, definitely very surprising. He seems like an attractive trade chip. Could have probably fetched a similar return to Scott Efros of the Cubs. Yep, um, who got the Cubs a, a solid prospect. So, yeah, definitely a little confusing there. I might have to lower my grade to a C- minus after that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with a C just because even though they could have maybe traded some of their bullpen arms, I do like the return that they got for David Peralta. Um, so I'm going to give them a C. I feel like they weren't put in a necessarily easy position. Unlike the Colorado Rockies, <laughs> who had a very easy path to follow and chose to go – the worst possible path. They uh, they went on the path that leads you into a, a pit full of snakes, and that is doing absolutely nothing besides extending their 37-year-old 
closer who's having a great year, which means great trade return, yet they extend him for two years, $19 million. I ask you, Johnny, why walk in the pit of snakes through the Rockies? Uh, don't you want to have a 72-win team every year? Maybe, maybe we should just strive for that. Maybe that's the below mediocrity. That's that's the goal apparently in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of knew it was coming based on the last deadline, but still, to see acquisitions none, subtractions none, it's just it boggles the mind. They are playing a different game than everyone else in this. At this deadline, and it's not in a good way. No, <laughs> they're, they're just they're not being creative here. <laughs> they're not being creative. They're not even following the established, you know, guidelines on what to do with the trade deadline. You trade your established veterans for good prospects, and Bard was on any other team in the majors. I guarantee you, you know, any other rebuilding team. I guarantee you, Bard gets traded. He's an old closer. Who has a who's having a great year would have fetched a strong return. The only other closing type reliever on the market was David Robertson of the Cubs, and obviously they had a bunch of teams calling. I'm sure on Bard. So, I mean, I guess props to the front office for not tanking, you know, for trying to win, but. I just got a feel for the fans. You just, I don't understand how you can ever get out of this cycle if you don't trade your, your veterans. Right. And like, if the issue is ownership wanting to put at least a respectable product on the field, that's fine. And you didn't have to trade any of the guys that put respectable products. You didn't have to trade Crone. You didn't have to trade Chris Bryant. You didn't have to trade Charlie Blackman. Like, they have guys that you're not going to trade. At least trade the guys that nobody's going to Colorado games and say, man, I'm so excited to see Jose Iglesias today. Man, <laughs> I just cannot wait to see Daniel Bard hopefully close if we can somehow hold a game. Like, that's just not happening. But I can only imagine, right, teams calling the Cardinals, asking about Bard. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, they called him. Actually, we're extending him. I guarantee you that happened in front offices, went to each other and said they just extended Bard. And there was laughing because it's a it's laughable what they're doing in Colorado it really is I feel for you Colorado fans because you don't have hope I mean at least some of these teams that are tanking have prospects to get behind and and really buy into I mean Zach Veen yay I mean he was drafted last year he's not going to be ready for uh, four or five years right so like what I, I'm not saying that Zach Bean's your only prospect. I get it. You guys have other guys, but yeah, yeah, that's bad. It's an F, F minus if possible. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's 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 almost like off the scale. It's like, what are, I can't even grade this because you haven't given me anything. Right. Yeah. There, it's, it's an incomplete. <laughs> right, because an F F would mean you did something and it was just stupid. Like they did nothing. <laughs> they did nothing, and it, it was it's. There's really no words, and Johnny, and I keep struggling to kind of come up with stuff because there's no words for how bad this is. 
All right, moving on to the NL Central. Let's start with the Brewers. We already mentioned their biggest trade of Josh Hader to the Padres. Um, they didn't make any other notable subtractions, just a few kind of minor league uh, infielder Mark Mathias, left-handed pitcher Antoine Kelly, outfielder Tristan Peters, nothing really big there. Um, and we already went over their return a little bit. Rogers, obviously, probably going to slot into their back of their bullpen for the rest of this year. Lamette, who they DFA'd, and Gasser, the pitching prospect, and Estre Ruiz, the outfielder. They made two other pickups as well. Matt Bush, former number one overall pick, now a reliever, um, got him from Texas. And Trevor Rosenthal, who is currently injured, but who they got from the Giants. So Gasser slots in as their number eight prospect, and Ruiz as their number nine prospect. So, you know, that's a fairly... Fairly solid prospects there. Uh, but I think the glaring thing here is what the Brewers didn't do. And that is upgrade their offense. Because their offense has been middling this year. And they really could use a jolt like they got last year. Uh, albeit not at the deadline, but from Willie Adamas. And I think another kind of under-the-radar trade like that would have really... Um, elevated them over the Cardinals to favorites in the Central, because right now it's it's really close. Yeah, the thing is, and we'll get into the Cardinals in a bit, there was two teams that really had an opportunity to go and grab the division during this deadline, in my opinion. Neither did. With the Brewers, I mean, yeah, getting Matt Bush is a solid pickup. Trevor Rosenthal, like, he's hurt. You don't know what you're going to get from him. And he's just this year, too, so it's not like you got more time. Right, and same with Rodgers. I mean, he's a rental. So you look at their their additions, and you're thinking, okay, this is a team that was, you know, had no bullpen and was rebuilding. But in reality, they're in first place. They lowered any sort of World Series odds that they had. This is a move for meddling. They just want to make the playoffs year in, year out. They are not trying to make the World Series like we saw the Padres push to do. They are satisfied with playing well above 500 baseball, making the playoffs and getting bounced. I mean, that that's what this tells me. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, they want to make the World Series, but I think the way you should put it is they prioritize just getting into the playoffs because they know that, you know, any team can get hot in the playoffs and go all the way. So they just want to kind of maximize their window for getting in the playoffs at the expense of, as you said, kind of, you know, going all in and building a, a super team. Um yeah, that's just kind of how their front office works. Again, you know, small market team. They have to kind of work within the limitations of their ownership group. So, you know, I mean, hopefully it works out for them. But unquestionably, they're not as good a team this year as they were before this deadline. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, looking at what they did, given the position that they were already in, being first place in the NL Central, Granted, I understand ownership can put handcuffs on on general managers, but I have to give this a D. I was just about to say that myself. Yeah, this is this is approaching F territory. To make your team yeah. worse going into the playoffs, I mean, they have a chance, not a huge chance, but they could miss the playoffs. Cardinals could win the division, Phillies get hot and take the third wild card, and adios Brewers. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to change it. I'm going to give them an F. This is... That's, that's pretty bad to do to a fan base and a team 
And we, if you haven't seen it, go watch Devin Williams' interview when they asked him what it means to lose Josh Hader. And he was at a loss of words, essentially, because he just couldn't believe putting a team in their position as a competitor, they all want to win, to just yank that from out under them. Not only is that deflating, I mean, go look, go look at what happened. The very first series they left that, that um, trade deadline, they blew – Multiple games to the Pirates. Two, they blew two games, yeah. They blew two games. Got walked off twice and got swept. I guess the Pirates. I mean, Matt Bush blew one of the games. Granted, I think that was an extra innings one, so, you know, we can't really blame him fully. But still, it, it blew up in their face right away. And I think that has less to do with not having a hater and more to do with the fact that they just seemingly gave up. That's they killed the, the morale. Yeah. Right, the morale's dead. So I got to change that to that because that, that, is, that is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, Cardinals Cardinals are not getting an F. Um, they certainly did more to improve their standing this year than the Brewers, although they also didn't go super all-in. But I got to say I like their deadline. Um, Quintana and Montgomery definitely shore up that rotation. Um, we've, we've mentioned that it kind of has echoes of last year with uh, Lester and J-Hap, but um, these two are probably better, both of them, than last year's acquisitions, at least on paper. Um, Stratton, a nice pickup, uh, got him through next year as well, and Montgomery as well through next year. Quintana's just a rental. Um, That's basically all their major additions. They also got left-handed reliever Jojo Romero, who's famous for uh, popping a Red Bull before he comes into games. Um, As for what they gave up, um, ready Johan Oviedo, who's been uh, pretty good in their bullpen actually the last couple of years. I was a little surprised to see him go in that Quintana deal, uh, especially to the Pirates, who don't really need a major league reliever right now. Uh, and then the really interesting one was the Montgomery for Hader trade, or for Bader, excuse me. We talked about it a little bit in the trade de- trade deadline reaction episode from the Yankees' point of view, but we've both had a little bit more time to think about it, and we really like this trade from the Cardinals' point of view because Bader is A, hurt, B, a defense-first outfielder, and to get a solid four, number four starter for the next two years for that, um, Bader, I think, is also controlled through 2023, but... Yeah, it's hard to see why the Yankees seem to value a defense first center fielder over uh, Montgomery, a controllable starting pitcher. Um, so I think the Cardinals kind of did a little fleece job there. Not a huge trade, obviously, but I, I would be surprised if they come out on the worst end of this deal. I would tend to agree. I, I, you always got to prioritize innings over on the mound over innings in center field. I think that's pretty obvious. And the fact that they're going to get significantly more playing time out of Montgomery for the sole fact that he's not injured and Bader is, it just makes a lot of sense for them to do. They got young guys coming up at some point that can kind of take that center field role. Right now it's probably going to be Dylan Carlson, which that's fine. They can make do there. They did a pretty good job of getting guys to make sure that they don't miss the playoffs. Now, they didn't do anything that's going to scream off the page, okay, yeah, they're a playoff team, they're locked. They could get into a cold streak and, and fall out if 
Quintana kind of reverts back to what his predictive stats might say. And, you know, other than that, I mean, even if Montgomery is a solid four guy, they're really looking at Wayno and not much else. Michael Yeah, Michael Yeah, that's, that's one I got to obviously mention there. Michael's been phenomenal. Um, but there's, it's just not like a scary rotation. And you get into the playoffs, I, I can't see them winning a playoff series. No, not against the Dodgers, Mets, Padres, kind of a uh... – that tier of, of NL teams, right. they don't really look uh, scary, as you said. But, hey, at least they are trying to get better for this year. So Brewers can take notes on that. Yeah, no, that's very true. I just think there was a really good opportunity, and I get it. They probably put a little too much uh, time and effort into trying to get Soto. But we know the Cardinals do not like to trade prospects. They're very against doing that. I thought this was a great year to do it. It's the first year that the Brewers in a while have really not scared me. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'm looking at that as an opportunity to go win the division. Mm -hmm. Off the top of my head, I can't tell you exactly what a good trade could have been, but man, I mean, I don't know. Going after someone hard to sure up that rotation, get a really good guy behind Michaelis, that gives you a shot to win the division. I don't think anything they did allows them to Push past the Brewers, I just don't. Yeah, I think Rodon would have been a huge addition for them. Uh, I know they're rumored to have interest in Syndergaard as well, but um, yeah, I think I think Rodon would have been huge for them. They wouldn't have had to give up too too much because he's a rental, and I think that would have really elevated them to um, you know a little more dangerous in a three game or five game series. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So yeah, if I'm looking at this Cardinals one. I, I'm going to guess I'm going to be a little bit harsher than Johnny based on his words. I'm going to give them a C. I really don't think that anything they did moved the needle. I think it shirt up rotation. If they did this you know, in an offseason, I would have said, okay, this is pretty good. At a deadline with the division up for grabs, essentially, I didn't love what they did. So I'm going to have to go C. Yeah, you're right. I, I am a little more favorable. I'll give them a solid B on this one. Because they clearly improved their team for this year um, with a few pieces for next year as well. And they didn't give up too much. I, I totally think they won the Bader trade. Um, Quintana and Stratton should be solid pieces. And yeah, they didn't really give up any uh, any top prospects or integral pieces of their major league team other than Bader, who's hurt. Yeah, that's very true. So let's, uh, let's bounce to the Reds, which is honestly the one I'm the most excited to talk about. First time we've talked about the Reds all year. Right, I know. And they have finally gotten the green light from ownership to fully rebuild. That ownership group there was like, no, please don't try to make the playoffs, but also please don't try to get better for the future. (laughs) So finally they get the green light, and my goodness did they go for it. And they did a phenomenal, phenomenal job with pretty much every single one of their trades, if I'm being honest. I am a big fan of every single trade that netted them legit minor league talent, I think they did a great job getting what they could have gotten. So let's start with what they got. Uh, Let's just start with what they gave up, and we'll talk about what they got for that player because there's significant trades that went down. So Luis Castillo, that is the headliner. That is the second best, biggest trade probably at the deadline behind the Soto trade. Getting rid of Luis Castillo is tough, but you gave away a guy with two years of control, so they were able to net their new number one overall prospect, Noel V. Marte, shortstop. The kid is a stud. 
they are loaded in that system with shortstops right now. It's scary how many shortstops they have. Um, whether they use them at the major league level, bounce them to center, or even use them as trade bait when these guys do start to come up, they are loaded. Now let's talk about the second piece they got from the Mariners. Edwin Arroyo, who now slots into their sixth slot as a shortstop. He is a beast. A lot of people think that he is going to be a top 100 guy. He's very, very good. Um, they also added another right-handed pitcher and Levi Stout, who he projects as someone who could be a mid-middle-of-the-rotation guy, but he is filthy when healthy. He's dealing with some injury stuff right now, but when healthy, he does have top-of-the-rotation upside, but he's, he slots in more as a uh, mid-mid-the-back-end guy right now. Final piece of that one was Andrew Moore, more of a throw-in middle reliever at best, but they were able to get some legit guys for Luis Castillo. Now you go and bounce to the Tyler Molly trade to the Twins. They're able to highlight that one with Spencer Steer, who slots in at their number seven spot. He's an infield guy, um, bounce around a little bit, but he he is a stud. Um, Spencer Steer, really, really good. Uh, they were also in that trade able to acquire their number 17 prospect now, Christian, excuse me, Christian Encarnacion Strand, third baseman. Got some good pop to his bat, plays a solid defensive third base. They also were able to acquire their number 30 prospect, left-hand pitcher Steve Hajar. Nothing special there, but again, you can never have enough pitching, and who knows if they can pan out and, and figure something out with him. Bouncing to the Brandon Drury trade, they got a young shortstop. He is, he's well, well away from making the majors. He's 18, Victor Acosta. Uh, from San Diego Padres. You know the Padres scout really well when it comes to shortstops. So that's a big, big addition there. For a guy that they signed for 900 k on the minor league deal, phenomenal job by the Reds to turn that into a legit switch-hitting shortstop prospect. A couple other guys just to touch on is outfielder Hector Rodriguez and Jose Acuna, who they got in the Tyler Naquin and Phillip Deal trade. And for uh, Tommy Pham, it was more cast considerations. But the Reds loaded up their yeah, their system went from middle of the pack to pretty much consensus top five system in baseball. Um, Marte is total consensus top 100 guy in discussions in like top 25 overall prospect. Arroyo is already on Baseball America's top 100 prospects list. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if MLB Pipeline slots him in there when they do their offseason update. Um, Stout, yeah, another solid prospect. And, I mean, you can get mad at them if you want as a fan for trading away these pieces, Castillo, Molly, but they're guys with one-plus years of control. You know, they're controllable through next year, and no matter what the Reds did, they were not going to compete for the playoffs next year. So there's no reason not to sell now when their value is at their highest and load up the farm system like they did. So... I mean, that's that's an A job for me. I give him an A. Yeah, no, I, I salute the Reds front office for this one. This is an A+. Plus. This is a, a master class job. You load up the system on arms and middle infielders. That's what you do when you want to compete. And they got Mustakas and Votto coming off the books here pretty soon. They're going to be flexible financially and really, really young with some studs coming up. And, and like studs, not just... They, they got some studs in this system now. Reds fans, be patient because they're coming, and you guys have a chance to be a very, very good team here in the next four or five years. Yeah, and also they have pieces. 
in the major league roster right now. Tyler Stevenson, their catcher, seems like a, a solid piece. Obviously, rookie of the year last year. India, Jonathan India, second baseman. He looks like a solid piece to build around. So they've got they've got options. It's not like, you know, the Orioles a couple of years ago where it was just so completely barren that you couldn't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. The Reds, I don't expect a super long rebuild from them. I think they're going to be back in contention in a few years, especially with the NL Central as weak as it is. Yeah, they're they're in a strong position to to at the right time. You know, the Cardinals will always be there, and the Brewers will be pests because they develop well. But they have a chance to, in a way, do what the Padres did, right? Like you know, there's teams that are going to be meddling, just like the Dodgers and the Giants. But you can really, really push for it and go all in. I could see the Reds kind of turning into a Padres to to the point where you know. They're not meddling. When they go for it, they're going to go for it. Right. For sure. All right. Let's move on to the Cubs. Um, Not too big of a deadline. And the biggest story, again, um, kind of as with the Brewers, was what they didn't do. Although Cubs uh, being a seller here, very surprising that they did not move Wilson Contreras. Also surprising they didn't move Happ. Um, Contreras is the bigger one because he's going to be a free agent this year. Happily can try to trade uh, this offseason or at next deadline. But yeah, Contreras, most they're going to get for him is a compensation pick when they give him a qualifying offer this offseason. And I don't know what that says about either their asking price or what other teams value him as. But I mean, from Contreras' point of view, this is really bad because... It looks like the other teams don't want you that much. And when you have a qualifying offer attached to you this offseason, that's just going to make it even harder for teams to sign you. Because when you sign a, a player that has been given a qualifying offer, you are forced to give up a draft pick as compensation. So if nobody wanted Contreras enough to trade for him at the deadline and give up a few prospects... I don't like his chances on the open market with a qualifying offer attached to him. But uh, yeah, that's just from his perspective. From the Cubs' perspective, also don't really understand why they didn't think they could get better than a comp pick for him. Um, There was certainly interest from the Mets, Astros, before they pivoted to uh, Vasquez. Um, So that was was definitely a confusing move. They did trade uh, their closer, David Robertson, who was on our top 10 trade candidates list. Um, and Scott Efros, who we actually, we applauded that trade because they did not try to hold on to him just because he had a lot of years control. He's at the peak of his, his value right now, having a great rookie season. You don't know if the league is going to adjust to him. You don't know if he's going to get hurt. You know, this was the time to trade him. And, uh, they did that. We like that trade. Uh, also a small deal with Michael Givens to the Mets, but, Nothing major outside of Robertson. Uh, another small deal with Chris Martin to the Dodgers. So, yeah, very, very surprising that they did not trade Contreras. Yeah, extremely surprising. The thing about the Contreras situation is I think once the Astros realized Christian Vasquez was available, that was going to be their, their guy. I you, We know the Astros want a guy who can call a good game and can really manage the pitching staff. From multiple reports, we heard that not many scouts believe that Contreras could switch to a new team and take that duty on at first. So that takes the Astros out. Obviously, the Mets were 
for whatever reason, content with their catching situation. They went a lot more platoon. They didn't really make a big splash at the deadline, so they didn't want to set in. Padres go out and get Soto. Probably takes them out of the Contreras situation. So if teams don't trust that he can catch, they're not going to give up catching value. And if the Cubs are asking for a catching value worth of prospects, I can see why they didn't line up. At the same time, for the Cubs to fail, whether or not at the end of the day this is their fault, it's a bad luck. And to not have him dealt, especially not deal half, because in my opinion, I get it. You have a year of control. There's no pressure. But you're not going to get him to have the year that he's having this year next year, in my opinion. Absolutely. So you, had, you had an opportunity to maximize value on return, and I think they just dropped the ball for whatever reason. We're never going to know. We can speculate as much as we want. I just truly think they dropped the ball. Not completely this deadline, because they were able to pick up a couple top prospects. They got Hayden Wisniewski uh, for Scott Efros, which is their number eight prospect. Ben Brown, right-handed pitcher, is now their number 11 from David Robertson. Those are solid gets for sure. For relief pitchers, good job. But they had a chance to really put their farm system in a, in a much significantly uh, stronger position, and they and they failed. They, they failed. Yeah, they could have gotten a lot better than 8 and 11 for half and Contreras. And as you said, both of those guys having career years, and like – you're never going to get better value than that uh, for those guys. I mean, you can't get anything for Contreras now, but there's no way Hap fetches anywhere near what he was going to fetch at this deadline next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with that consideration, I can't do better than a C- minus for the Cubs. Yeah, I've been bouncing back between C- minus and D. I really like the Efros move. And Dave Robertson, they got pretty good value for a rental relief pitcher hasn't really had success the last few years. I'm still going to give it a D because this really this deadline was crucial for them. They really had an opportunity to put their club in a good direction. And they just didn't. And for that reason, I have to give them a D. So, yeah, Cubs fans, I'm sorry. Going to have to figure something else out here in the offseason or next trade deadline because their farm system really did not get too much. It didn't really. It just didn't get better. It, it did. It, it slightly improved. You got a little bit deeper, but it didn't get better. So, um, with that said, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the bottom dwellers of the division at the moment, they had a somewhat quiet deadline. And there's two. There's two ways to look at their deadline. It's either they traded who they could, the rental guys, because they got Quintana, they got Stratton, not a rental, but about to be uh, out of there, and they got Vogel back when he was at pretty peak value out of there. Um, they got solid return. They got a really good, controllable young reliever in Johan Oviedo. Um, they got him until he's 2026. Um, they also got a corner infielder in Malcolm Nunez in that deal, who's now their number 11 prospect. For Vogelback, they got Colin Holderman. Like, nothing special, though we can't expect much. I don't know. I'm curious what your take is on the Pirates, because they had guys who were very controllable in, um, in both Brian Reynolds and David Bednar, but they chose not to deal them. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, we've already talked about Bednar a little bit, and just like the Efros move, he's at peak value right now. He's had back-to-back seasons of really good performance, and now is the time to trade him. Um, the odds that he will have a third great season in a row is really low. He's a young reliever, and that's just – a recipe for, you know, regression, injury, etc. 
they could have maximized his value. Teams would have given up a haul for him. He would have been the second best reliever moved at the deadline behind Hader, probably maybe behind Robertson as well. But they decide to hold on to him. He should be, you know, around for when they're good again, unless they trade him, you know, in the next couple deadlines. Um, I agree with their decision not to trade Reynolds. I don't know about you, but I think he's he's more of a piece to build around than a trade chip. Um, I think they would have been hard pressed to get a good return for him. Um, although maybe with teams kind of gearing up to pay for Soto, they might have been you know more ready to give up prospects. But I do not condemn them for not giving up Reynolds. I think that's fine. I do condemn them for not giving up Bednar. Yeah, I'm torn on the whole Reynolds situation just because, like you said, he is so good. And it's definitely a guy you want to build your franchise around. He's, you know, cornerstone guy. However, this was a hot deadline. And to me... It was a seller's market, for sure. Right, for sure. And the way that I... The way that the deadline came across from the Pirates' perspective is they were not really open to trading him, right? So they didn't seemingly listen or try to get in advanced talks or, or really scout guys that would, they would want to return for him. I don't know. I don't think it would have been ridiculous to trade in the seller's market for the Pirates because, yeah, I know that they got O'Neill Cruz up there right now, but that's it. I mean, they don't have any other young guys that are, you know, they're not – they don't have a huge wave coming up right now beyond right. talent. I'm torn on that one. I could go either way on that. Their deadline was interesting just because they they didn't really improve their farm system, but they're not really super close to contention, so it feels like they should have, but they really only had two pieces that they could, in theory, do that with. And, and it's like you said, it's Bednar, who they obviously should have traded in, in our consensus opinion and then there's Reynolds who I think we disagree on because I would have I would have tried to shop him pretty hard this yeah this I mean yeah you could have shopped him it, it all just depends on what guys were willing to pay but yeah not listening is I mean, that just seems, seems kind of kind of stupid to me you should always listen I think and if somebody blows you away they blow you away even if it's really unlikely um, it's always good to have your options open so yeah so again for me for the pirates man looking at this return that they got obviously they're not giving up anything that's detrimental to their franchise and getting a controllable reliever and Malcolm Nunez is solid gets gosh man I mean see see because I'm not mad at them for trading not trading Bednar or Reynolds like I can't say that's like stupid um they didn't really do anything so it's, it's like I can't say they did a terrible terrible job but they didn't do anything good so for me it's just a c that's yeah exactly it's the same as the diamondbacks they just didn't really have any pieces if they weren't trading willing to trade their you know super controllable valuable players um there wasn't really much else they could do so yeah middle of the road they're not being aggressive but they're at least not being stupid so yeah it's a c all right let's highlight the analyst by starting with the new york mets so the Mets made some minor, I wouldn't say minor, but definitely nothing, no big splashes. So they did have Darren Ruff, who they have control of until 2025. Very team-friendly contract. Very. He matches lefties. Daniel Vogel back until 2023. He matches righties. They did get Tyler Naquin as a rental to be kind of a fourth outfielder type. 
Um, Michael Givens, who's a good bullpen depth piece. He's had a pretty good year. Got a neutral option for 2023, which usually never gets accepted. Other than that, just a couple depth guys, depth arm, depth catcher. Their subtractions were nothing too insane. A couple couple solid prospects that left their system. Uh, Nick's Wax is probably the best one that they lost. J.D. Davis is someone that they did give up in the Darren Ruff deal. The interesting thing about the Ruff deal is, granted, Ruff is very controllable. He's not some world beater, but they had to give up J.D. Davis and three prospects, including this, the Nick Zwack guy. Um, so a little surprised they had to give up that much for Ruff. However, the Mets really kind of played it safe this deadline. They filled some holes, got some platoon guys, added depth at the reliever spot, but they didn't do anything to push them further into World Series contention. Yeah, and I was surprised by that. You know, yeah, as you said, Ruff and Vogelback, it's a good platoon pickup there. But, you know, this is their year. Like, this is potentially the last year with DeGrom. You know, it's, it's the last year with Bassett. You know that Cohen is all in. You're way over luxury tax land. And, yeah, I don't understand why they didn't get a little more aggressive here. Um, they could have used any number of guys. I mean, they have a good roster, but they could use more power. They could, you know, anyone could use another starter and they definitely could have used left-handed relief help. Um, They do not have a high leverage lefty in their pen. And the one guy they did acquire Givens does not have good splits against lefties. So they definitely didn't, didn't improve in that department. Obviously, they're still a great team, and I certainly wouldn't want to face them in the postseason, especially if they got DeGrom healthy. But, yeah, surprised they didn't go a little more all in. Me too. And like you said, if you're already over, you know, the, the self-proclaimed Steve Cohen tax, right? Like, why not just full send it? Because you're going to lose your, your draft picks and your, your international slot money already. So, like, why... If you're gonna, unless you're planning to do this every single year, and you're just gonna continue to deplete your farm, why not just go for it this year? Like you said, it just doesn't make sense to these meddling moves. Darren Ruff and Volgoback are probably gonna provide very, very good platoon numbers, and you might not find a better designated hitting platoon than that in baseball. But like that's your that that highlights your your trade deadline. For a team that's going to compete in the World Series. And almost has the first $300 million roster in right. history. Like, I, I just don't necessarily get it. Their farm system isn't anything to die for. They've shown a willingness to overpay in the past. Maybe teams just don't like their system. I don't know. I didn't think the Mets did anything special like we talked about. There's nothing more that I can give it than a C because they did improve. But you can't say that they improved enough to up their World Series odds. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe half a percent. But, yeah, if you're not going to trade... If they made the decision that they absolutely weren't going to trade Alvarez, Beatty, um, and their other top prospects, then, I mean, yeah, I guess this is the best you can do without giving up anybody like that. But I don't see why you would make that decision. Alvarez, I can... I can agree with because he's almost MLB ready and they have a void at catcher. Yeah. But I would seriously consider moving Beatty. Um, 
and any other, you know, long distance, if you want to say, like, you know, lower miners trade chips, because this is the time to be aggressive. This is your best shot. The division is strong. Uh, the Braves aren't going away. But, you know, the Nationals aren't going anywhere. The Marlins aren't going anywhere. So this is, this is a pretty good time to strike. And if they just kind of continue to roll with the group they have, um, I'm not sure that they're going to put themselves in a position to go all the way. So, yeah, I agree with the C there. Yeah, okay. Well, then let's talk about their real division rival at this point, the, the team that has made a pretty significant uh, comeback in the standings, especially when you look at where they started the first month of the year, the Atlanta Braves, who got better. They they assured up their bullpen by getting Rossell Iglesias, controllable through 2025. He's expensive, but they're losing Kenley after this year. So they shared up their bullpen. They got Robbie Grossman, who's a really good at-bat off the bench, fourth outfielder type. Uh, Jacob DeRizzi, who's supporting a three-and-a-half year array this year. Two years of control on him. Uh, you know, they got a couple a couple guys to fill some holes, especially with Albies out. They were able to get the number 35 overall comp pick from the Royals, which is a significant um, trade, though it's not helping them for this year. I think probably the biggest thing that they did was somehow get Austin Riley to agree to a 10-year, $212 million extension. Um, and, and that's what they did. I feel like the Braves have been a better team than the Mets, at least on the field as of late. And I feel like they got better than the Mets did from the deadline. And that, to me, signifies Mets, your division is not safe because it was theirs to lose. And now... I can see a real path for the Braves to compete for that division. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sports Center said the division was locked up on, like, June 1st when the Mets had an 11-game lead or something like that. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely in danger. I think the lead is down to, like, four and a half games. It was closer than that. Um, but, yeah, Iglesias is a good pickup. He had an outstanding year last year. Uh, he's been more, you know, decent this year than great. Grossman has always been a rebound candidate for me. He was stuck on the Tigers, um, but hopefully now that he's on a winning team, maybe he can turn it around. Odorizzi, a great pickup, especially since they only had to give up Will Smith, who was basically the last man on their bullpen depth chart. He would have been booted for Iglesias anyway. Um, their one glaring hole is second base, as you mentioned, with Albies out. They they reunited with Ere Andrianza, who was... I believe, on their World Series team last year. Um, obviously not a uh, superstar by any means, but he can be a useful role player for sure. And then, yeah, that Riley extension, man, way under market value there, 10 years, 212, um, for a guy that's played near MVP level for the last couple of years. That's, uh, that's pretty huge. And, yeah, I, I like their chances of reeling in the Mets for the division. Um, it's a big deal this year to win the division, especially to win the East, because you know whoever wins the Central is not going to have as good a record as whoever wins the East. So whoever wins the East is going to get a bye. Um, and the difference between a three-game wildcard series and getting a rest and then a five-game division series is huge. So 
whoever, you know, if the Mets end up falling to the Braves here, they don't have to look much farther than the trade deadline to find out why. No, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Um, they did have to, however, give up some some substance. Nothing too scary that's going to alter their long-term plans. They did have to give up Jesse Chavez in the Rossiel Iglesias trade. The significant aspect about that, which makes it kind of interesting, though no one's going to say that, oh, Jesse Chavez is a you know better better player than Rossiel Iglesias. He does have a better ERA this year, and it's not a small sample size, and it's almost half, not fully, of what Ross Sales is. He's not a back-end guy like Iglesias, but they obviously have to give up something for the Angels to be willing to accept it, and they had to come from the major league level. So to get that four years, three and a half, excuse me, years control of Ross Sales, they had to give up Chavez, and then their number five prospect, Tucker Davidson, who's gotten a taste of the big league level. He's a starter. Um Obvious why the Angels would want him, but we'll get into that later. Iglesias obviously shares up that back back end of the bullpen and makes the Will Smith exit more stomachable. Granted, Smith hasn't been amazing, but I think that there's a understanding that he has that in him. He was a dog in the postseason last year. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. So to get to ensure that you got a guy who's going to pitch high leverage innings in the in the bullpen when you're in the playoffs was important to them. And they're obviously willing to, to part with Chavez and then starter and Tucker Davidson. Other than that, to get the 35th comp pick in the, in the draft from the Royals, they did have to give up kind of a failed prospect, but he's still young and has a chance to, to maybe tap into what he once was and drew waters. There was really no spot with him. Now that Harris is locked down center field. Obviously you've got Acuna. Ozuna has not played well, but, they are committed. So, yeah, that was an expendable piece for sure. They didn't need – they're not a team that needed or, or had the the time to wait to see if they could figure out Waters. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would give them – I don't know. I would give them a B for this deadline. The Iglesias pickup was good, if a little risky, because he's a high-paying reliever. Odorizzi trade was a steal, in my opinion. And I don't know if the Riley extension counts as part of this deadline, but that was a steal for sure. We're counting it. All right, we're counting it. Then, yeah, definitely a B. Yeah, I'll have to give it a B as well. All right, let's head up to Philadelphia and check out the Phillies. They had an interesting deadline. They had two separate trades with the Angels. And we know that the Dave Dombrowski-led front offices of the past have really been against acquiring rental players, although this year they acquired two. They got Syndergaard, the best rental starter to move at the deadline, and they got Robertson, the best rental reliever to move at the deadline. But their best, and to get those guys, they didn't really give up too much. They gave up Moniak, who was former number one overall pick, but just didn't pan out for them. You know, they've given him opportunities year after year, and he just hasn't really found his footing. So, you know, kind of a change of scenery guy there, Uh, a little similar to Waters. And um, for Robertson, they didn't give up much either, not even one of their um, top 30 prospects, I believe. But their best trade ship was Logan O'Hoppy, a catcher, 
good two-way catcher, good offensive catcher, and good uh, game caller as well. And he may not have been their best prospect, but he was certainly their best trade chip because he is blocked for the foreseeable future in Philadelphia by JT Real Muto. Um, they committed a lot of money to Real Muto, even though he's not performing too well this year. Um, they're going to stick with him for sure. And that makes Ohapi expendable. And they shipped him off to the Angels to fill arguably their most glaring need in center field. Now, they filled it with Brandon Marsh. And that's just a really interesting pickup. We went over this. We were, we were a bit confused by this at the uh, on the deadline when it happened. Marsh, on the one hand, he's controllable through 2027, which is great, obviously. Like, if he pans out, that's a huge piece. A center fielder for the next five, six years is huge. It's amazingly valuable. And he was a top prospect himself in the minor leagues. But at the same time, he's been a below-league average hitter, I believe, the first couple of years of his career. He certainly has potential. He has pop. He plays a good defensive outfield, uh, although the, the Angels have been using him more in left field, obviously, since they have, I don't know, some guy in center field. He's okay. Yeah, he's all right. Um, but yeah, Marsh hasn't quite figured it out yet, but if he does, the Phillies are going to look like geniuses for this trade um, because that is that is huge value in center field if he, if he does uh, pan out. And at the same time, even if he doesn't, like even if he maintains his level of production... That's still a huge upgrade for the Phillies in center field because they were using, you know, a rotating, revolving door in center field this season. Um, and even for the last few seasons, they just have not found a long-term answer there. Um, so, yeah, they definitely improved their playoff odds for sure. Syndergaard will be good for them, even though he's not what he once was with the Mets. Um, Robertson will definitely help that bullpen. Although their bullpen isn't even, you know, as bad as it was before. So it's not going to move the needle too much. And then Marsh as well. So all that considered, I don't know. I'd probably give the Phillies a B. Um, they didn't do anything incredible. I would have liked to see Ohapi go for, you know, a higher floor guy than Marsh. Because there's certainly a chance that Marsh doesn't do anything in the next few years and ends up kind of as another Moniac, another failed prospect. But at the same time, there weren't very many center fielders available. Ramon Laureano is probably the best one, but um, I think the A's reportedly had a really big asking price on him. So it was certainly a creative deal, which you don't see, you know, too often. Um, And uh, credit to the Phillies for, you know, going out of the box there. Hopefully it pans out for them. Yeah, so let's look at this as one trade instead of two from the Angels. Tell me if you're doing this, because I think this is fair. Are you going to, if you're the Phillies, in order to acquire Noah Syndergaard and a sub four ERA as a rental and a controllable Brandon Marsh, who still has stuff to prove, for Mickey Moniak, JDL Sanchez, who's not much of a prospect, and the main piece, Logan Ohapi? Are you doing that? Well, yeah, I think I am. If I'm the Phillies, Moniac doesn't have any value to me, honestly. If anybody wants him, take him, if I'm the Phillies. Um, Ohapi, again, 
he has value, but not to us, you know, if I'm the Phillies. He has good value to other clubs, but we can't use him since we have catchers. So, yeah, all of these pieces are expendable, and Syndergaard and Marsh have a good chance to help your team now and, in Marsh's case, in the next few years as well. Yeah, totally agree. It sucks to give up a hoppy, but at the same time, like you said, it's blocked, so... I think the Phillies, if you combine the two trades into one, did a very, very good job of getting value for not giving up a ton. David Robertson, great addition. I have to give the Phillies, I have to give them a B plus on this one. I honestly really, really do like what they did. I don't feel like they're in a situation to make huge splashes financially and prospect wise. There's just not much they can do. So for given what their system and their, their fiscal situation is, I think it would be plus. I honestly really like what they did, and I think it improved them for the now and for the future. Not going to hear any arguments from me. So let's move on to the Marlins. Only one trade for the Marlins, uh, although there was lots of speculation, especially after they said that they would listen on everybody uh, not named Sandy Alcantara prior to the deadline. But that ended up kind of being more smoke and mirrors. Um, They only traded two relievers, Zach Pop and Anthony Bass, Um, Two solid relievers, Bass especially, is having a really good year this year, and Zach Pop um, is controllable for for a long time. I think he made his debut last year. Um, And they did get a solid prospect. Jordan Groshans, this time last year, he was untouchable. Um, He was a huge prospect. He's fallen off a little bit, struggled a little bit in the high minors, but... The Marlins player development, if they can, you know, work their magic on Groshans, they can totally win that trade by a long shot. Um, He certainly has way more upside than the two relievers they gave up. Um, And especially since the Marlins don't really have a shot to make the playoffs this year, I think that was a solid move. Now, given that that was a solid move, is that the only move they should have made? Or should should they have gone more aggressive as sellers. They're in a weird position because they have zero offense and they've dominated on the mound for for majority of the season. They've just had some putrid offensive stretches this year. Obviously, Jazz Chisholm, he's not a cornerstone guy, but he's definitely a guy that you can that you want on your team in, as you as you start to come into a more uh, favorable position. They're in a deep division as well when you when you consider the Phillies and the Astros the Astros you consider the Phillies the Braves and the Mets and looking at the Nationals future outlook they're not crazy far away from being good anymore so the Marlins have the rotation to win they need offense getting bro chance here is a smart pickup and giving up two relievers and Anthony Bass is having a career year and Zach Pop who's filthy but not anything special, you know, he's not going to be the next, you know, Josh Hader by any means. I think this was a good move, but it should not have been an only move. Like, you're in a position where you're not going to make the playoffs. You have, like I said, a filthy rotation. If you're going to listen on Pablo Lopez, you need to listen a lot stronger. I get it, you don't need to trade him, but are you really... You really think he's going to have the first half that he did again? 
guess that's up to your your own personal beliefs if you're the Marlins front office. I personally don't. I think this is the best value you're going to get for a guy with three years of control. I would have moved him. I, I trust my, my pitching development down in Miami. I'm moving him. And I'm taking some big-time offensive guys. I'm taking a guy who's ready now. And I'm taking some guys that are upper-level minors. I don't know. That's just me. I feel like the Marlins could have done better. What they got in Groshans is great, but I feel like they could have done more and done better. And, and for me, that's what I have to just give them a C. I'm happy with the move they made, but they could have gotten a big, big outlook um, for their future by moving Pablo. And that's what I would have done if I was them. Yeah, I mean, I agree that this is Lopez's peak in terms of value. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to deal him, you want major league ready offensive help. And I don't know how many teams that were in the market for Lopez would have been able to give that up, would have been willing to give that up. Um, also, their pitching has been good, but I don't know. The depth is suffering a little bit right now. Um, Trevor Rogers has struggled a lot this year. He looked like a great piece last year, but he really has not been able to figure it out this year. They're one of their top pitching prospects. I think the, their number one top pitching prospect, Max Meyer, just went just underwent Tommy John surgery. Um, and Sixto, Sixto Sanchez as well has been beset by injuries the last couple of years. So, yes, they have high ceilings in the pitching department, but their floor is fluctuating right now. And, yeah, it's not... I don't know. I wouldn't feel comfortable dealing from that depth uh, if I'm the Marlins. So I can't really criticize this this deadline for not listening on Lopez or other controllable starters. So yeah, I'd give them I give them a C plus. Um, they didn't do anything huge, but they got good value for Pop and Bass. So yeah, C plus for me. Okay, fair enough. We're not crazy far off in terms of our ratings. Just our idea about. Uh... Pablo there. So if we're looking at the last team in the National League East, the last team that we'll touch on in this podcast, it's going to be the Washington Nationals. What a hectic deadline that they had surrounded by one move. They only really did two things, and the other one's so minor that we're not even going to touch on it because when you trade away a guy like Juan Soto and Josh Bell, you have to expect a lot in return. And they got a lot in return. It's the biggest trade in the history of the sport, up there for the entire sports world. In return, they were able to get Robert Hassel III, who's now their number one prospect, James Wood, who slots in at number four, C.J. Abrams, who was a top five prospect in the entire sport at one point, not too long ago. Mackenzie Gore was a consensus top two pitching prospect in the entire sport as of a year ago. And then Yarling Susana, who's their number eight prospect now, as well as two and a half years of control on Luke Voigt. We're not going to dive crazy deep into this one. As we mentioned earlier, when we were discussing the Padres, we have our live reaction to this trade as it was progressing and our breakdowns and analysis and pretty deep analysis on all these prospects. So go check out that episode. It's our soda reaction. It's up on the, it's up on the channel now. But if you're the Nationals, if you're going to have to give up Soto and Bell, if the gun's against your head, you have to, you got the return you wanted. Yeah, and I mean, the gun isn't against your head, but it was the right move. The East is stacked. The Mets 
are, you know, spending $300 million a year. The Braves are in super good position with all their below market value contracts. Um, Phillies are obviously still going to compete every year. Going to be a, a solid team. Marlins, we don't know where they're going, but they certainly have the potential to be good in the next few years. So there's really no point to hanging on and just trying a, you know, a reboot as, um, as GM Mike Rizzo called it last deadline. You can't delude yourself into thinking you're going to compete in this division next year or even the year after that. So if you're not going to compete while you have Soto, you've got to deal him. You've got to maximize your value. And they absolutely did that. Yeah, we went over the prospects in the other episode, as Logan said. But just really quickly, Abrams, major leaguer. Gore, major leaguer. Hassel has a very good chance to be a major leaguer. Wood has the highest ceiling out of anybody. And Susana is, you know, blowing triple-digit heat at 18 years old. So you couldn't ask for a bigger return. No one has ever gotten a bigger return in any trade ever. So for what they did... While it might, you know, leave a bad taste in your mouth, it was the right move. And they got more than they could have hoped for, I think. So I give this one an A. Yeah, I have to give it a B plus. And the reason it's not an A for me has nothing to do with they got in return. I think they maximized value. And I think they did a phenomenal job of that. The reason I give it a B plus is more so the failure to resign Soto. Mm. Where for whatever reason... I don't know if we'll ever really know why. There was just really bad blood, and, and we can assume it comes more from ownership than anything. But when you get a generational talent like Soto, you can't lose him. You just can't. And they did. Granted, these guys are all going to be really good. They probably, I mean, there's a good chance that you're going to have at least four of these guys on the Major League roster. And that, that's a win for, most, for, for the most part. But to give up Soto, I just can't give it an A because if you're not going to be able to resign Soto for me, that's a that you got to give Doc something off point value wise. And for me, I just can't give him an A for that. I understand. All right. Well, this has gone on for too long already, so we're going to split this one up into two episodes. We'll cover the national. Or sorry, excuse me. We'll cover the American League in a upcoming episode. So mm-hmm. this will do it for the National League trade deadline review definitely had some wild swings here we got the Padres going all in we got the Reds going super fire sale obviously the Nationals trading Soto and we had lots of teams kind of trying to thread the needle the Brewers the Giants and some teams that seemingly should have gone for it but didn't really go all in Um, the Mets Certainly could, uh, this could come back to haunt them, as we mentioned. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for the NL. We will see you in a bit with the American League trade deadline review. See ya.